Could do something different today, something I've never done. And it all has to do with David Fiorazzo asking me to be on Stand Up for the Truth with him to address this topic. So I figured I needed help. <laughs> so putting it in a sermon format will kind of help get this in my head. I had written a paper for one of my classes in 2016 broaching this topic, and uh, we'll talk about that in this. So a bit of this is my paper. A lot of it's been changed a little bit to fit teaching. But uh, just wanted to do a couple of announcements before we get into the teaching. And really, I want to be talking about um, having a biblical worldview in a fallen world. So we'll get to that in a moment. I had said, I, this is wrong, in the bullets, and this is, I got an old bullets, and no wonder this is wrong. This does me no good whatsoever. Anyways, I have a memory, though. It's wrong in the bulletin because I was looking at last week's. I thought I would finish on Wednesday Leviticus, and we just spent the whole time in chapter 26. So coming up this Wednesday, we'll look at the final chapter, chapter 27, and then we will do a review of the book of Leviticus and... Uh, it's a pretty cool book. A lot of people avoid it. But if you break down Leviticus, you discover that chapters 16 and 17, kind of the middle of the book, become that highlight of the book in chapter 16. You have everything that talks about the Day of Atonement coming up this week for the Jewish people, so you can learn about that. Chapter 17 talks about the importance of the blood. 17 verse 11, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So that comes the climax of the book. And then... On both sides of it, they almost they mirror each other in the sense that you have how to conduct yourselves as followers of God. So they have on one side uh, the difference between that which is holy and unclean, or actually uh, clean and unclean, and on the other side, the back half of the book, beginning in ver- chapter 16, or beginning in chapter 17 through 26, it's called the holiness code the difference between holy and profane. So clean and unclean, holy and profane. And then if you fold it together, they give instructions for the priest on the both sides. They kind of mirror each other. And then instructions for the worshipers closes out, begins and closes with instructions for the worshipers. So it's kind of a neat book in that sense. And we'll be looking at that this coming Wednesday. There's a lot there. And sadly, it's a book that a lot of people ignore. And uh, I don't see how we can. I mean, it was written, yes, for the children of Israel prior to their going into the promised land, but so much rich truth taught there. And it was really written to teach the people how they could walk in fellowship with a holy God, with their holy God. So we'll be looking at that this coming Wednesday, youth group, children's ministry. Also going on, and uh, the only other thing, since I don't have a bulletin, um, this coming Tuesday at 9 a.m., only if you go to Q90.1 FM up in uh, De Pere, Wisconsin, David Fiorazzo's radio station will be on Stand Up for the Truth. The podcast uh, comes maybe an hour or two later, and so we'll do the live show first, and then the podcast will follow. It's just like what we're doing now. We're doing the live video first, and then the podcast will follow, and uh, so that'll be coming up Tuesday. 
David asked me to talk about Freemasonry because he knew that my dad was part of the lodge. He knew that because I shared it with him. And uh, he's been wanting to deal with this topic, and so he thought it would be good to have me do it with him. I don't know. There's two things. You can pray for me about that in this message and in the broadcast. I don't want to dishonor my father, but I more so don't want to dishonor God. So I'm trying to walk a line that uh, might be difficult to do, but uh, God is always first. So that's Tuesday, and uh, pray about that. I think it could be just praying that God would use it however he sees fit. My friend John Marquardt down in Florida said he worked under me as a when I was a brick mason. He said just, I didn't tell Lily this, but basically he texted me back and he said, just act like you're in the break room when we were working at Great Lakes Naval Base and laying down the law. So me as the foreman. It's like, I don't want to be tough. I want to have grace in this. And I think grace is important. So we'll look at that in a moment. I want to open us up in prayer and prayer for our offertory as well. And then we'll begin the teaching of God's word. So Father, thank you for this morning. You've already given us a time of worship together, a time of communion. And now, Lord, we ask that you would bless the gifts given to this fellowship. We thank you, Lord, for your provision. Lord, we are, as a fellowship, turning 30 years old officially in December. And Lord, we've seen it all. We've seen times of abundance and great blessing, times of struggle. And uh, Lord, I believe right now our whole country is going through one of those times of struggling and many in our congregation, Lord, we're all feeling the pinch. Some of us may have more funds to deal with it. Others, they may be uh, changing course or direction on things that they used to do that it's like, I can't afford to do that anymore. And so, Lord, we're even feeling that here in our fellowship and the um, finances that go along with just running a church. So I pray, Lord, and thank you first and foremost for your past provision. We're all here, Lord, because you have provided for us. And this fellowship is here because you have provided for us. And I pray you, Lord, give us this day our daily bread for your present provision. And we like to pray, Lord, although you did not address it, for future provision. But what you taught us, Lord, on the mountain of Beatitudes, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, is give us this day our daily bread. So today we ask... Lord, for your provision, for the work that you've called us to here at Calvary Chapel of Lake Villa. Also, Lord, for each of our lives, our families, give us wisdom in these days, we pray. And we ask, Lord, blessings upon this teaching. It's different. It's topical message I normally don't do. It's a subject, Lord, that I've never taught on. And so, Lord, I pray that you would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. So even when David asked me about being on Stand Up For The Truth um, and the topic, and I said, let me pray about it, within hours I knew I was going to do the show. I told him, give me the weekend. I was like, oh, I don't want to do this. Give me the weekend. But in hours I knew I was going to do the show, and I responded back to him that same day. But I did so because this is where I'm coming from it. Uh, the perspective that I want to come from. And it's in the title of our message today, Maintaining a Biblical Worldview in a Fallen World, that I believe, 
And what we're going to get to is that there was a point where my dad offered to sponsor me to become part of the Masonic Lodge. And I would ask him, why would I want to do this? Realize I grew up around all the family lodge activities. So I was very familiar with a lot of the stuff that they did and not so familiar with some of the other things that they had done. So I asked him the benefits and he shared the benefit, and I'll talk about that later on in this message, his perspective of why it would be a good thing for me to um, be part of the lodge. And I remember simply responding to him, that's what the church is supposed to be. Now, if the church is failing in its role, then man will always seek out something else to try to fill the gap. And I f fear, and I know, that for many people in our world today, that because the church has decided, and we'll, I'll have some quotes today of some of the goofy things in woke churches that they are saying today, because the church has decided that they will not hold true to the word of God, they no longer have a biblical worldview, that the church has failed our society in such a way that people are looking for other things to fill the gap other things other than God to fill the gap and maybe to fill that gap of a personal desire to accomplish something, some good thing in your life and such. And so maintaining a biblical worldview. It's not my notes, but I want to just get this out of there that if I would have became a Mason, I was a Mason. Oh yeah, I could lay brick. I still was. I was doing it yesterday, uh, repairing some work on one of our fireboxes outside our outdoor fireplace that got damaged in the extreme cold that we had. And uh, I would have been deemed then as a Mason, becoming part of the Masonic Lodge, a free Mason. That basically means I know how to lay brick. Most of the people in the lodge don't, so they're called speculative Masons. They wish they knew how to lay brick. <laughs> They got to join the club. And this ties back. I did an interview with one of my dad's sponsors who went through the lodge. Uh, he went to be with the Lord a few years ago. And uh, to prepare for the class and the paper that I wrote in 2016, I took Mr. Mason, and I'll just honor his name and not put his name in there, but I took Mr. Mason out for breakfast, and I just laid out a bunch of questions and uh, we'll deal with a few of those things in our interview. But one of the things that really amazed me, and uh, David Fiorazzo actually mentions in one of his books, um, I maybe Redefining Truth, he has a portion on Freemasonry, and uh, that they tie it all the way back to Solomon's Temple. David Fiorazzo in his book even gave a name to that mason. But actually, you can tie the organization back to the 1700s when they were in England building the great cathedrals that we still are amazed of the work that was done throughout England in these great castles and churches, and especially the cathedrals, that they formed this workers' guild, a lodge, in order to take care of um, the wounded masons or the widows, of those who were killed in doing the work and such, that they formed these guilds and the lodge, they described them as a lodge. 
that uh, it really came out of, when I read that in my 20s, because dad was asking me to become part of the lodge, I had some of their material, and I just like, this is a, a union that's gone astray, <laughs> you know? It's like, they weren't building cathedrals anymore, but they still had the lodges, so what do we do? And that's what the Masonic Lodge said. That's how they went from Freemasons to speculative Masons, the Freemasons, the guy that actually knew how to lay brick and stone, decided to bring in their buddies, doctors, lawyers, and other people, to be part of the lodge and to come into lodge membership. So it ties back to the 1700s in Europe, but there are strong influence here in the United States, um, as you might see. I just kind of put a thing in Mike's head. I don't know what he did for the video screens, but I said, did you know that George Washington was a Mason? And I showed him a picture of Washington with his white apron and the trowel in his hand in some picture or painting probably back then. It wouldn't have been a picture, of course. But um, we have a lot of our founding fathers that were part of Freemasonry. And that's just easy to Google to look at. And there are still many today that are part of that. So the lodge my dad was in a part of was Waukegan Masonic Lodge number 78 and the oldest lodge in the state of Illinois. Uh, at the time, they had their headquarters uh, on the corner of Grand Avenue and Sheridan Road in Waukegan. Just, I think there's a McDonald's, a Wendy's, and the Masonic Lodge. But this is how poorly they couldn't keep up the building that I ran around with as a kid. I'm fascinated by the building. Maybe that's why I became a bricklayer. I don't know. But that was a grand mansion. Uh, they ended up not being able to keep it up, and they sold it several years ago for just the taxes, back taxes, of something like $87,000. But it, it was a four-story uh, with the attic, uh, five floors with the basement all together. And uh, the caretaker lived up in the top of this mansion, and as you walked in, you had this grand hallway that is probably as large as our church. And that was just the entryway. And then it went to this, uh, which I best would describe a library or a sitting room. But just think about being in England in one of the grand mansions and a huge sitting room that you go in with a fireplace at the end of the room. Yeah, think of Downton Abbey going into some grand mansion there. And then they went immediately into, from that, you could go into this huge auditorium on the first floor. There was another auditorium on the second floor. There were the secret chambers up on the second floor, um, ballroom, the basement. I remember the uh, meals that we'd eat down there, the billiard tables that they would have. And one of the things, they had the grand masters over the lodge, all the photographs up on the wall dating back to 1849. And uh, I used to just like looking at the photographs, but also looking to find my dad's picture. He was the grandmaster of this lodge at one point. And to me, he just, in that black and white photograph with a top hat on and a tuxedo, he just looked so dignified there. When I was a child, the lodge was a place of fascination and mystery. When we went there, me and my buddies would just run that place because our folks were doing something somewhere. And we would just go through this grand mansion and run all over the place. It was a great place of fascination and mystery, and in many ways it still is. 
Well, I knew that Freemasonry was an important part of my dad's life. When he asked me to become a member, I remember asking him, how could Lodge member be- membership benefit me? And as he listed out the advantages of this, about being part of this fraternity, I saw that it really conflicted with many of our beliefs as a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, what dad didn't know at the time was that he taught me too well. I was developing a biblical worldview, and I could see that there were already conflicts without even having to go into uh, their secret things. I remember specifically asking dad about some of those things, and he basically said, you have to join to find out. He would not tell me anything. So I don't know anything about all the secret stuff other than what I've read, but it didn't come from my dad. He never divulged anything. So maintaining a biblical worldview in a fallen world, this is something that we can apply to any area of our life. We have in our world today critical race theory, wokeism, LGBTQ+, or, I knew it would never be enough, LGBTQIA+, and next month they'll have another letter on there. It'll never be enough for them. Racism, socialism, Marxism, as well as many other isms vexing our society today. How can having a biblical worldview help us to rightly understand these issues? And I hope in this message just to help us to kind of think about that frame of mind of having a biblical worldview. I was listening, as I said, I was laying brick yesterday. So I was listening to podcasts. And one of the podcasts, Charlie Kirk had George Barna on. And they were talking about religion And I looked it up this morning, and in yesterday's podcast, Barna actually gave it greater than what I found from his own group, that those Christians who really have a biblical worldview is only, he said in the podcast I listened to yesterday, was 6%, 6% of believers who actually hold to a biblical worldview, meaning that you not only believe what the Bible says, but you live it in your life. It's greater in churches like ours, maybe 13 or 14 percent is the average they gave. On the website, it said 4 percent, only 4 percent hold a biblical worldview. And what he said in the podcast, Barna, yesterday was that the problem with people, though they deem a lot of the stuff in the scripture as true, they also try to merge things from the world with the word of God. And that's where you fail. And I believe with all these isms that we have today, there's the attempt that we're trying to merge things from the world. Can't we just get along? Well, you can get along if you just uh, say that abortion is, is a woman's right to choose and don't call it murder in the womb. Yeah, we can get along if you change definitions of what the Bible says and what it talks about. Or that a guy can have a baby, right? They're saying that today. They This week, one of our leaders in Washington was specifically asked that question, can men have babies? And yes, trans men can. Well, it's like, well, they're not really men. They're women dressing up like men having babies. But they're saying, you know, It's going against. You have to mesh it out. So 
I'm going to do that. We're going to touch on some of those things, but I'm really going to talk about uh, Dad's offer of sponsorship, talk about the Masonic Lodge here. So our points today, maintaining a biblical worldview in a fallen world, is the Masonic Lodge another gospel? And we're going to look at, for our springboard scripture, not a verse-by-verse teaching by no, no means today, Galatians 1.8, making good men better, Psalms 14.1 through 3, Masonic funerals, that was a big issue for me personally. When my dad passed away, and we're going to look at John 14:6, and maintaining a biblical worldview, 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17. And so the question, is the Masonic Lodge another gospel? And though some would not consider Freemasonry a religion, the question has been asked enough that the Grand Lodge of the State of Illinois' website states this. They had to deal with it because so many people are saying, is this a religion or not? This is what they say. Masonry masonry is definitely not a religion and is one of the few forms where men of every religion can come together. And although lodges open and close with a prayer, masonry teaches morality. It is neither a church nor a religious body, and a member's religious belief is his own affair. Masonry is open to all men who believe in the supreme being because of the necessity to take oaths, no atheist can become a Mason. So this morning I paused off on that ending phrase, because of the necessity of taking oaths, we just came through the mountain of Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes that Jesus taught, where in Matthew 5.37, Jesus counsels us, let your yes be yes and your no, no, for whatever more is this, More than these is from the evil one. So Jesus counsels, don't take oaths. Masonic Lodge says, if you want to be part of this, you have to take an oath. And it is um, quite an oath. Talking about uh, cutting out your tongue, and it's just, it's a weird oath. In my head, I can't believe, Dad, what were you doing? I'll say it up front. He was not a believer in Jesus Christ when he joined the Lodge. But God used the lodge to get him to faith. So it it has an interesting thing that we'll get to that in a moment. But uh, Freemasonry teaches, though, that it's not a cult, it's not a religion, and yet, is it a cult? The question that I asked one of the lodge members, Mr. Mason, I already introduced him to you, won't say his real name, but he said, no, it's not a cult. It was a fraternity of good works. So not a religion, not a cult, but a fraternity of brothers. I quote, a fraternity of brothers, a fraternity of good works. I told Lily this morning, I don't remember the lodge ever doing any good work that I could visibly see other than them hanging out together at the lodge building and having meals together. And maybe they sponsored... I'll say in a moment one good thing that they might have done in our family, but I don't remember them like, hey, this person has a need, let's go help them. I never saw any of that. So that's interesting to me. The Apostle Paul, though, said in Galatians 1.8, but even if we are an angel from heaven preaches any other gospel than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. And so it has been said that a text cannot mean what it never meant, true meaning of biblical text, then for us is what God intended it to be originally when it was first spoken. And with this in mind, 
Is the Masonic Lodge another gospel? Well, several years ago in Zion, Illinois, the second at the time, the second largest church in Zion, Illinois, the pastor came out and spoke against masonry, Freemasonry, uh, being incompatible with Christianity. It so riled the feathers of the men who were masons in that church is that they ended up leaving the church and uh, joining the largest church in Zion. And they walked away from their fellowship. So apparently, though, they say it's not a call to fraternity of brothers. If you speak against it, the bonds of masonry are, are at times stronger than the bonds of Christ. But Exodus 23 teaches us, you shall have no other God before me. Another troubling aspect of Freemasonry, this is one that I can't get past, is their loose adherence to the word of God, to the Bible. Here in the United States, it is mostly the Bible that you see on the altar. I asked Mr. Mason about this, and he affirmed that the Bible is always central in every rite that they perform. The Bible is always open on the altar, his words. The Bible is always open on the altar along with the square, the compass, and the fiat lux. That means the light. Concerning the square and compass, it is to mean the diagram of the world caught between the mind and the spiritual world, the compass and the realm of the physical, the earthly plane, the square. And as you progress through the degrees of the lodge, you enter as an apprentice. I was a real apprentice, became a journeyman. They enter as an apprentice, become a master mason. And uh, these are symbolic. This is from the square and the compass, the master's jewel, took it off the website of one of the mason sites. They said, these become symbolic of our spiritual growth, the mastery of mind over the material world. The fiat lux or the light is supposed to represent light, but it's even mysterious. And this is a quote that's part of every rite that they take. One Mason wrote, I beg you to observe the light of the master Mason. Is darkness visible? Now that is just, think. he repeats it. So I'm, I'm reading. The statement begins, I beg you to observe that the light of the master Mason is darkness visible. The light of the master Mason is darkness visible. I put it to you, brethren, that this is the most accurate description of the Masonic light that you'll ever find. The light of the master Mason is darkness visible. What in the world are you trying to talk about? It's like a riddle, right? It will enable us to measure how much or how little progress we have made allowing our lives to be adapted and influences by the message of God, God's requirement, which is found in the Bible. So again, this person pointing to the Bible. The problem is, is the Bible may be the centerpiece in American lodges, but it's not the centerpiece in a Muslim lodge. The Quran is. It's not the centerpiece in a Buddhist lodge. The words of Buddha are. And so it depends on what God you might believe in. All they have to do is believe in the supreme great, supreme being, the master mason in the sky. I guess we could word it that way. And it doesn't matter what you believe, what God you believe here on this earth. They all fit. So that light, the master mason, is darkness visible. It made me instantly think of 2 Corinthians 11, 13, and 14. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of lights. 
In this world, there are those who are attempting to transform themselves into apostles of Christ, ministers of righteousness, saying that we do, that isms that we have going on. We're doing the right thing. We're going to get the right thing done. But they're actually transforming themselves into angels of darkness. And the purpose of Satan's transformation is always to deceive the world, to get us to not look at the true light of Jesus Christ. In John 8:12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And sadly, CRT, critical race theory, wokeism, LGBTQIA, I just had the other one down. Now we have to add the IA plus in there. They'll have more later letters later. Racism, socialism, Marxism, many other isms in our world today, they are, I tell you, they're false lights trying to keep people's eyes away from knowing the true light, Jesus Christ. And while there is nothing wrong with wanting to improve ourselves, how we seek to accomplish that can be questioned. It begins by knowing the true light, Jesus Christ. So on the homepage of the Waukegan Lodge, I went to their homepage just this week, looked it up. On the homepage of the Waukegan Lodge, they had two phrases that stood out to me. Not just a man, a mason. Well, that's what I am, a real mason. Remember, Freemason, I know how to lay brick, not part of the lodge. Um, I'm not just a man, I'm a mason. Sounds cool, doesn't it? I'm the only one that can say that in this room. But the second phrase is the one I want us to look at. We make good men better. We make good men better. What's the problem with that? We all want to improve, right? The problem is that the Word of God tells us, and Paul deals with it in Romans, but I'm going to take it back to his source from Psalms 14, 1 through 3, where the psalmist writes, there is the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. Abominable works. I have to say that one slow. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of men to see if anyone understands who seeks God. They've all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. So, Masonic Lodge, it sounds cool. We make good men better. The Word of God says no one's good. We're just not. We have a sin nature. And Christ came to redeem us from that sin nature. The problem is when we talk about comparing good, our good versus what God views, is that when God speaks about being good, he's comparing our sinfulness to his sinlessness, our wickedness to his righteousness, our injustice to his justice. And sadly, our standard of being good has not lived up to God's standard since Adam and Eve fell in the garden. The word of God says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So other phrases that they use in Freemasonry is spiritual growth and mastery of mind. Now, if you... Here in the United States, they, they have the Bible. I don't know if they use the Bible, but they have the Bible. Remember, Mr. Mason said, in every rite that the Bible is on the altar. He didn't say that they were actually reading or learning from the Bible. It's just sitting there. It's a prop. We have our prop. If you're in an Islamic lodge, they had their prop, the Quran. 
So where's the spiritual growth, the mastery of mind come from? These phrases that come from Freemasonry. It speaks about spiritual and mental enlightenment. Albert Pike, one of the celebrated Masonic scholars, claimed that every Masonic temple is a temple of religion. And it teaches, its teachings are instruction in religion. So they're sending this mixed message. Are you guys a religion? No. Their own author saying yes. I read this morning, I'm trying to get my head in the game here, that there, the one author that I was reading this morning says there's over 100,000 uh, publishings on the Masonic Lodge. And a lot of people have written on this. So the Bible, Pike, again, he writes, the Bible is indispensable part of the furniture of the Christian lodge only because it's the sacred book of the Christian religion. The Hebrew Pentateuch is the, in the Hebrew lodge. The Quran is in the Mohammedan lodge and belong on the altar. Apparently, any religious book will do from the Masonic mind. All they ask is that you all believe in the supreme grand master of the universe. That's how they describe God, the supreme grand master of the universe. And it might be if you remember the uh, compass. I can't even remember their phrases. Uh, let me go back to that. The light and the compass, the flux. I'm getting back to it. The compass and the square. I should know these things. I'm a real mason. Um, but I can't remember how they put it. So they have the square and they have the compass. Maybe you've seen that emblem and there's a G in the middle. Some say that G represents God. Others say it represents geometry, that you need math to put things together. So they don't even know what they mean. But um, so the almighty father, supreme governor of the universe That is something that they say no atheist can become a Mason in the first three degrees of the Blue Lodge, uh, the Almighty Father and Supreme Governor of the universe. It's always there. It's always worded. The first three degrees, when you just get into the apprenticeship of being a Mason, I guess we could better say, they say when someone comes in, so say at the time, I'm... I believe in Jesus Christ. I accepted him at seven years old. My dad asked me to uh, sponsor me in the lodge. And uh, if I would have said, sure, dad, I'll be part of the lodge. And I would have went in and this is what they would have said about me. Poor candidate is in a state of darkness. Now, I would be a believer coming into the lodge and they would say, you're in a state of darkness, buddy. The light of Jesus Christ is not sufficient for you. I'll read again. Poor candidate is in the state of darkness and now comes of his own free will and accord, properly prepared, humbly soliciting to be admitted into the mysteries and privileges of Freemasonry. So these rites teach about spiritual growth, the mastery of the mind over the material world regarding these degrees. To my knowledge, my dad was under the Scottish rite. They have the York rite and the Scottish rite. My dad's lodge, he was a 32 degree mason, master mason in the Scottish Rite. The 33rd degree is as high as it goes, and that seems to be an honorarium title. And so he's went through the whole thing. So the first order, the Masonic Lodge, their order of tolerance of multiple deities, 
that can't be accepted. So one of the problems with the Masonic Lodge, again, if you're in the United States, usually it's the Bible. Um, if you're in a Jewish lodge, then it would be um, the Torah, which we wouldn't have a problem with the Torah itself. But if you're in an Islamic lodge, it, it doesn't matter. Whatever your holy book is, that's what it matters. And so God said in Exodus 23, I'll remind you, you shall have no other gods before me. There's one God, not many other gods. Freemasonry then waters down the truth of God's word to fit their desired purpose. And this is a clear example of the reader determining of the Bible how it might fit their beliefs and desires. I believe it's a trouble that we're having in our world today in the woke churches of our world today. They're taking the word of God, watering it down that it might fit what the world might be saying, not talking about Freemasonry now, but a number of isms that's going on in our world, that we are changing the truth of God's word or we're being selective about what we feel we should believe in God's word. Second, the master Mason, his spiritual growth, his mastery of mind over the material world, not only conflicts with there's no one good, no, not one, but points to really a works-based salvation. The Word of God tells us in Titus 3, 5, and 6, not by the works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He has saved us. Through the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Lord. Salvation is not obtained through good works. That's something that's clearly taught in the Bible. It is solely by God's grace through the work of Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, that we might come into fellowship with God, that our whole spirit, soul, and body might be in fellowship with the triune God, creator of the world. So like Freemasonry, there are other things in our world today. All these isms that I've been talking about, the CRT, wokeism, racism, socialism, um, the LGBTQIA plus isms. These various isms come out of a worldview. They're not based on the word of God. They are attempting to bring improvement to our world without the work of Christ in their lives. So only God can bring us into a right relationship with Jesus Christ. So my dad passed away when I was 28 years old. He was uh, 56. Is that correct? Maybe. I was 28 when I surrendered to the ministry. Yeah, right about there. Um, and uh, a Masonic funeral was a big deal for me. And so I was a mid-20 guy saying, there are certain things you're not going to do at the dad's funeral. It's just not going to happen. And so I remember I was a kid. In perspective of today, yes, I was a kid who had been married for 10 years and had two kids of my own. But uh, think about our young men today, many of them at 27, 28, they're just trying to get their act together at that point. Um, I've been well on the mark on that for quite a while. And I knew that some of the rituals that were performed, and maybe I'd seen these before, I don't know how I knew this, but some of the stuff that they did at Messianic funerals, it's like, you are not doing that at dad's funeral. And there are things you're not going to do. My sister has um, his stuff. I don't even know where his stuff is, his Masonic stuff. 
Uh, I asked one day, one of my sisters says, yeah, I have all that stuff because I don't. I just know I didn't have any of it. And uh, one of these things, dad should have been buried with, and he was not because I wouldn't allow it. And so let's talk just a little bit about the Masonic funeral. So I asked Mr. Mason about the funerals. This is something that I put my foot down as a young man, but I asked him. He assured me that a ritual by its members is just really to honor a person's life. And it seems that there in Phoenix Masonry, they would agree this is what they wrote. The lodge has no plan of salvation, no way of atonement for to offer its members. Rather, it teaches brotherhoods of man, brotherhood of man and the fatherhood of God. The Masonic institution in a funeral then is an expression of the fraternal affection of the deceased for his family rather than exercising a priestly ministry representing God. But they have some very godlike aspects in it. One of the things that dad should have been buried with from the Masonic point of view, I would not allow it, was a white apron that they are given when they begin their first of the 33 degrees of the Scottish Rite. I know too much about this. But at the Blue Lodge level, one, two, and three, that's called the Blue Lodge. And they're given a white apron. I never wore an apron when I wore brick, but apparently someone did back in the day to protect their clothes. It might have been good. Um, they're given this white apron. And it really speaks about the beginning of their labors of good works. And that's what it represents. An apron at a Masonic funeral represents a lifetime of good works. But does it stand for more? I'm going to ask that question. So I believe that they're trying to say it does. The word of God tells us in John 14, 6, Jesus saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes through the Father except by me. But this white apron was a symbol of the good works of the Mason. They would call it, and I don't know if dad's, his wasn't lambskin, but that's what's written here. One of the Mason scholars, Freemason scholars, the lambskin apron is an emblem of innocence and the badge of a mason, more ancient than the golden fleece and the Roman, Roman eagle, more honorable than the star or garter. I had to look these things up. What's he talking about? The golden fleece, the Roman eagle, the star and the garter. This is something that is quoted often in their rites as they go through those degrees. So they tie it back to um, the knighthoods, the Roman eagle would take it back to Rome and their soldiers, the knighthood, the star, the garter, that of kings in the 16, 1400s, tying way back in with that stuff. So more ancient than the golden fleece or the Roman eagle, more honorable than the star or garter, any distinction that can be conferred to a king, a prince, a potentate, or any other person, by it we are continually reminded of the purity of life call of sin and fall short of the glory of God. They keep referring back to the purity of life, which we are not. A conduct so essential to gain a mission to the celestial lodge where the supreme grandmaster of the universe forever presides. So if you want to get to that lodge, you've got to have your apron. You've got to have that purity of works. That's what they say. It's not a religion, but you need those works. So a mixed message given to them. So the apron was supposed to be buried with dad. It was supposed to be around his waist when he was buried. I told my mom, you are not doing that. It would send a mixed message of the salvation of Jesus Christ. It's just not going to happen. 
I'm sure my sister has that apron to this day. But I would not allow it to go into the grave with my dad because when he stood before the Lord, it was because of the work of Jesus Christ and nothing else, not because of some white apron that he had on. Oh, yeah, we see your good works. I'll raise you my good works for your good works. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for grace you have been saved. Through faith, not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Adam and Eve had this triune makeup of spirit, soul, and body. God created them and created us with this triune makeup of spirit, soul, and body that we might walk in fellowship with God. But it's not by our works that we get there. It's only by Christ. So why is it important to have a biblical worldview? Because in our messed up world today, even in our churches, how are you going to determine where truth is if you don't have something that points to truth, the word of God itself? So listen to these two statements and one prayer coming out of today's woke church. Now this first one, if I just read it, how it was said. I only heard it, so I typed down what they said. It would make sense. First quote, we want to make sure that everyone knows that all are welcome here. It's like, yeah, that sounds good. Now, this is how it was said. We want to make sure that everyone knows that all are welcome here. So that all, they're stretching out some of those isms. And they'll have those rainbow flags in front of their fellowship. The second quote, we fly, and I, I, I listened to it like five times. I believe the word was fly, and I'm assuming it's referring to a flag. She could have said something else. I have no idea. We fly to support our LGBTQ friends. So I think it was referring to that flag. But I had a hard time understanding that second word. It makes sense. If you think of the flag, we fly to support our LGBTQ friends. The third is a prayer. And this is amazing to me. We confess that we have demanded too much from the earth. We confess to the sins of racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, ableism, fat phobia, American imperialism, and Christian supremacy. Wait, it's a church and you're confessing that Christians, you got a problem with Christians in a church? It's just weird. We confess. That was part of a prayer, a confession at a church of all the isms that the church is going against. God has made a way of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. It's through his death, burial, resurrection, ascension to the right hand of the Father. In other words, Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves when he died upon the cross. The word of God tells us in Isaiah 53, 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's what God did when Jesus went on the cross. The Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all. In Isaiah 53:10, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him as he had put him to grief. When, he, when you make his soul an offering for sin... He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. When you make his soul an offering for sin, talking about the father making 
Jesus Christ, his soul, an offering for our sins. Jesus, who is holy and harmless, undefiled and separate from sinners. Hebrews 7.26, suffered and died as a criminal among thieves, and he did that for you and for me. And so are you looking for good works? We make good men better. Well, who doesn't want to improve? But how are you going after that self-improvement? You better be doing it through the word of God. He's the only one that can actually truly improve our walk and relationship. That which really matters. So maintaining that biblical worldview in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. I'll get that in a moment. When dad asked asked to sponsor me in the lodge, I asked him, why should I want to join? And he talked about the brotherhood of the lodge, their loyalty. He assured me that Lodge Brothers, no matter where I would be throughout the world, they would have my back if you were ever in trouble. And this might have been something that my dad personally experienced. I said earlier, I can't remember any good works that I saw any Lodge members do. I'm just not sure. Um, But I've often said that my dad had a stroke when he was in his mid-30s. He spent six months in the hospital, the pioneer days of heart surgery. And uh, it could be that his Lodge brothers held a job for him at the factory he worked at. That's probably true. Because back in the 1960s, you're out for six months, you better find another job when you're, you're healthy again. And they not only had to find him a different job, they had to find him a, a different job within the factory. He went from working as a laborer on the floor, factory floor, to being a clerk uh, in shipping department. So it could have been that dad experienced this. I remember I worked there at that factory for a short, brief period of time. I couldn't stand it. But I was there in the winter. I'm always someone who's hot. And I tell you what, I was there in the winter in T-shirts when everybody else walking around in flannels. And I'm thinking, I don't want to be in this place in the summertime because it's going to be bad. We were running next to a a furnace that ran 24-7, and I used to have to run in that furnace furnace when they jumped the rails of the tracks. They would send Johnny in. They would shut it down. Third shift always jumped the rails on the tracks. They had to dry this product through the furnace. They would cause the rail to kind of jackknife there on the track. They would shut it down on first shift, And then second shift, I worked, they would send me in car after car. There's a lot of cars. I'd hook a cable on, and then we'd pull a car out. Hook a cable on, pull a car out until we found the derailed car. And I tell you, my ears, my nose, everything was burning by the time I got in the middle of that thing. It was so hot. And one of the guys said they built a a suit that we could walk in here like a space suit had water cooled and everything. He said, I almost drowned when I put it on. It's like the mass filled up with water. But I mention all that because my supervisor, who is a black man, and I never thought about it before until that day, he was talking to me about their plans for me in the factory. I'm glad they didn't work out. But uh, they had plans for me in that factory. I knew every job in my department. They had me doing everything. And uh, they had greater plans for me. But I noticed he was wearing a Masonic ring. And I said, oh, you're a Mason. My dad's a Mason. Maybe you know him. And he just laughed. And he said, yeah, he probably belongs to a different lodge. Now, I wasn't thinking they had masonry for black men. 
for white men, I never saw a black man in the lodge. I did look on the lodge today, Joaquin Lodge, the one my dad was part of, and there was a black man part of that lodge. So they got past that, but uh, it didn't even dawn on me. But there was also that in the Masonic Lodge. So I think my dad did experience some of that fraternity of the brotherhoods. But when he explained all these things to me, I remember just saying to him, Dad, what you just described to me is what the church is supposed to be. Now, if the church is failing, then it's our fault. But we don't have to look outside of the church. What we need to do is try to kind of, where are we failing in the church? Let's move to correct those things. Let's be a better representative of Christ. When the church fails people, People will look for something. That's how cults are developed. That's how Satan gets a foothold into people's life. Irvine Robertson, the author of Cult Exposed, explains that cults thrive in the world today because they meet a human need. And if it's true, then the church is failing to meet the need of community that God, we're supposed to have with God and with one another. And sadly to say, um, Oftentimes people look like the Masonic Lodge Freemasonry for that kind of community that the church is not giving them. It is so weird. I was raised in um, a town, Winthrop Harbor, Illinois. They're not like this today, but they're there when I was raised. I don't know how many Masons were part of our church, but I'm sure that most of the men were part of the Masonic Lodge. There was also uh, KKK active and live and well in that town when I was growing up as a boy. And now I wonder how many were participating in that that belonged to the church we were at. Never heard the preacher talk against Lodge. Never heard a preacher talk against um, the Ku Klutz Klan. But they were alive and well in the harbor when I was growing up as a kid. I didn't know it, but as a teenager, I began to see it. And as an adult, things click and it's like, oh... That's why we went to an all-white school and why um, when minorities did start coming that they were only there for a few weeks and then they were suddenly gone. I had no idea that crops were being burned on properties in the town I grew up in. So we can have twisted things. Here's the thing that amazes me. Dad was not a believer when he joined Freemasonry. But it was at the lodge he received his first Bible. And with these words, in this book, you will find the answers to life. And years later, my dad would testify that I did find the answer, and his name is Jesus Christ. After dad accepted Christ as his Savior, the Lord called him later on into ministry. Had a lot to do with that heart surgery that got him into that call. He became the pastor of Mount Carmel Baptist Church for 12, 12 and a half years before he stepped aside for another minister to take over that fellowship. His health at that time was already beginning to fail. And remember, he passed away when he was 56. So um, God used him for a short time. And for a short time in the Masonic Lodge, he became kind of a celebrity. And he preached Christ from Waukegan to Chicago, so much so that they got sick of hearing about Jesus from my dad at the lodge. So they stopped asking him to come. And here's another thing. In the lodge, since you can believe in any God, you're not supposed to use Jesus Christ in the lodge. So, 1 Peter 2, 5. My dad did use it, so got him on the outs. 1 Peter 2, 5. It reads this way. This is what the Bible says. You also, 
as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. At the Masonic Lodge, the same verse would drop the through Jesus Christ. Acceptable to God. That's it. Forget about Jesus. By removing Jesus Christ, Freemasonry teaches that spiritual life is attainable apart from Christ. I grew up around the lodge. It makes me careful about how I've never dealt with this topic this strongly anywhere before. And who knows what's going to happen on Tuesday. But several years ago, we had our first and only, guys, we should do this again. We had a outreach men's breakfast. At the time, Bill Linowitz invited the crew that was working at his building where he was building new, uh, remodeling an office, and he brought the crew in for breakfast. And one of the guys had a Masonic hat on. So I went up and introduced myself, and it's like, oh, my dad was part of the lodge. And uh, we had a conversation. And I told him in that conversation, you got to make sure that Christ is always first. The lodge is never first. You got to make sure that Christ is always first. After that, Art and his family for a while began attending our church. And uh, he ended up with terminal cancer. And the last time I talked to him, if you remember Art, Pastor John, you're right. It's like, what are you talking about, Art? What am I right about? And he said, none of that other stuff matters. It's all about Jesus. So I got to do Art's funeral. And I got to tell, share with Art's Lodge brothers what Art said to me the last time I talked to him on the phone. Now, none of that other stuff, all your Lodge stuff, none of that other stuff matters. It's all about Jesus. Could the Masonic Lodge, the Fraternity of Good Works, be considered a cult or another gospel? I believe that there is enough evidence to support that view. However, for those who have family members or friends in the Masonic Lodge, Let me suggest to you to always let your speech be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Colossians 4, 6. To have discernment. Sometimes Jude said, have compassion on some, making a distinction, while others save with fear by pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments that they're defiled, their flesh. Jude 22 and 23. We need to know in wisdom, how to deal with different situations. Sometimes you might have to just flat out get strong with someone. Other times you can kind of through grace, hey, Art, remember, keep Jesus first. My dad was part of the lodge. I didn't, you know, condemn him or anything. I just said, make sure Jesus is first. And that opened, that simple statement opened a door to ministry to Art and his family. Maintaining a biblical worldview in a fallen world is a must for every believer. But sadly, George Barner tells us that only 4% of the church actually do that. Father, we thank you for your word today. And uh, Lord, I just pray that I I don't know of anyone who's involved in Freemasonry here at the church. Um, or maybe listening to me, but maybe we have family members, but maybe it's some other ism. There's a lot of stuff going on in our world today. And the problem with not having a true biblical worldview is that we take some of that stuff happening in the world and we start to mesh it together with your word, try to um, be a, 
a go-between, that which is what the world is teaching and what your word teaches that we may not offend. And I tell you, Lord Jesus, your word offends, but it does so that we might find truth. Help us, Lord, to know your truth. Help us, Lord, to have that biblical worldview. And Lord, no matter our age, help us to build, continue to build that biblical worldview and help us to walk in it. That was the thing that George Barna said. They may say they hold to the biblical worldview, but they, by conduct, do not. So not only would we say it, help us to do it. So Lord, a different message for here in our church today, but I pray, Lord, you are ministered, able to minister through my words to our people. This day we pray in the name of Jesus, amen.